The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So whether or not you've actually, you know, grown up going to church, I mean, just by growing up in the United States, chances are, you know, you kind of heard that idea so many times that God, you know, became one of us that it, it probably doesn't even really sound all that surprising anymore, but... But if you just stop and kind of think about it for a moment, it really is one of those kind of, you know, hold on, hold on, I don't know that I can buy that kind of thought, right? I mean, the whole idea that God, that, that, I mean, that God would actually, you know, become one of us. And the person who actually explains that idea the best is a man by the name of John. And if you are new to church or, you know, if you're somewhat skeptical of the whole church thing, which, you know, of course you would be, why, why wouldn't you be? You should know that one of the reasons why we actually believe what we believe about Jesus is because there are a whole bunch of different eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and to his ministry. And John, he, he was one of these eyewitnesses. And John, he, he believed that Jesus really was the, the Son of God. And, and, and then John actually, he actually stopped believing. Because see, John, he, he, saw, he saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus crucified. And so John and the other eyewitnesses, I mean, they, they knew, you know, he can't, the Son of God can't can't die. But John, he actually saw Jesus die. In fact, John was the one that Jesus actually spoke to from the cross and asked him to take care of his mother Mary after he was gone. And so John, he saw Jesus die. And then John, a few days later, he actually looked into Jesus' empty grave, and then he knew, he absolutely knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus really is. He really is the, the Son of God. And so he spent the rest of his life actually telling everyone that he met about what it is that he experienced during his life with Jesus. And in fact, he ended up writing five books about the, the life of Jesus, the most famous of which is called the Gospel of John. And then a little while after that, he wrote three uh, very short books called First, Second, and Third John. And then at the end of his life, actually when he was exiled on an island off the coast of Greece called Patmos, it was there that he wrote his final book, a book that we know of as the book of Revelation. And all, all five of John's books ended up becoming part of what we think of as, as the New Testament. And so when John kind of sat down to summarize and to, to start his very first book about Jesus, he, he tried to think about how it is to, to express what it is that he saw, what it is that he, he experienced during his time with Jesus. And he, and he writes these, these very famous, these very amazing words that say, for, for the Word became flesh and, and made his dwelling. Literally, in the Greek, John wrote, he camped out. He, he pitched a tent among us. And, and we, me, John, and these other eyewitnesses, we have actually seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And see, John, he actually wrote those words as, as a summary of his life with Jesus. After spending three years watching everything that he saw Jesus do, listening to everything he heard Jesus say, he said, the only explanation that I have, the best way to explain it, is that God actually came to dwell among us. So what if that's true? I mean, what if John is right? And Peter is right? And James, in fact, Jesus' own brother, what if they're right? What if that is really true and God came to live uh, among us? What, what if that's true? And in fact, in our world today, there are more than, more than 2 billion of us who believe that it is. Then, then the question really is why? why? Why did Jesus come? 
Now, that really is actually a very important question to ask because, you see, nobody ever expected anything like this to actually happen. I mean, yeah, the the Jewish people, of course, they were expecting that God one day would send to them a a Messiah, but nobody thought that God would actually come to earth and, I mean, live among people. Nobody... Nobody thought that was ever going to happen. In fact, if you, if you study all the ancient religions that existed during this time, what you find is that nobody talks about anything like the, this at all. In fact, everybody, everybody was trying to, to reach God somehow, maybe get, get up to God somehow, maybe, you know, maybe even become a God. But nobody expected for God to actually come to us. I mean, how crazy is that? And they, they never expected, not in a million years, for him to be born a baby. Are you kidding me? How fragile, how weak, how how vulnerable. I mean, let's be honest, how how humiliating. A baby? Seriously? But John tells us, he says, I know it sounds crazy. I know maybe it's hard. Maybe maybe it's hard to believe. But but, but the, the best way I can explain it, the only way I can explain it, is that God, he actually came to dwell among us. He lived in the home of a carpenter. And he actually came to live among us. So what if that's true? Then why? Why, why did he come? Now, there's an answer to that question that perhaps you learned a long time ago, maybe in, in Sunday school, which we'll talk about in a little bit because it's certainly important. But there's also, there's also another reason why Jesus actually came into our world other than to die and to pay for our sin, which, which you may not know, and which is also important especially tonight on Christmas Eve. Take out your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of John, which if you're using one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you, is on page 1,675. Now what we're going to read together here in just a moment is actually a conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. And this is at the very end of Jesus' ministry, and which is also incidentally at the very end of Jesus' life as well. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that very soon... Uh, he's actually going to be leaving them, and where he is going, they can't follow him. Now, th- this makes Jesus' disciples very confused and very afraid, actually, because, because they've spent the last three years of their life traveling and following and, and living with Jesus every single day, you know, 365 days a year, 24-7 for the last three years. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's, he's really not, and these disciples are not very popular with the religious leaders of the day, in fact, the only reason why these leaders haven't had Jesus and his disciples you know, locked up or more than likely even killed is because they were very afraid of, of the crowds who were following Jesus. And they were kind of afraid of Jesus, but they were mostly afraid of the crowds that were following him. And the disciples, they know. They know that if Jesus is gone, then there's going to be nobody to prevent these religious leaders from doing whatever it is they want to to them. And that very likely, very soon, that they would, in fact, end up being history as well. And so Jesus' disciples are are confused, they're afraid, they don't understand what's going on. And they're terribly, terribly scared. Jesus sees this. He, He can tell that they're upset. He knows what they're feeling. And so he looks at them in John chapter 14, and he says to them this, beginning in verse 1. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, if you just kind of pause there for just a second, and you can just look at those words, either in your Bibles or up on the screen, but just think about this for a second. Think about what Jesus is saying. See, those are either the words of a crazy person, 
or they are words that communicate an incredible truth, right? I mean, there's really, there's really no other option here, is there? Because, see, what Jesus is actually saying is, listen, okay, you, you trust God, right? Well, well, because you trust God, then you should just trust me. You know, I want you, I want all of you, Jesus is saying, to trust me, trust me, Jesus says, in the very same way that you trust God. I mean, that's either ridiculous or it's true, right? There's really nothing in between. It's one extreme or the other. And then Jesus continues, and he goes on, and he says this in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, now at this point, one of Jesus' followers, a man by the name of Thomas, who's in the room listening to all this, he, he's thinking and feeling the same thing that all of the, the other disciples are, are, are thinking and feeling. And Thomas kind of blurts out to Jesus, and he says, Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? In other words, Jesus, listen, we know, we, we know that you know what you're talking about, but the rest of us, Jesus, we have no clue. We have no clue what it is that you're talking about. And so Jesus responds to, to Thomas, and he says this in verse 6. He says, I am the way. So listen, you do know. You do know the way, Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, let me just kind of pause there for a moment, because again, if you're here today, tonight, and, and you would not call yourself a Christian, or you're kind of skeptical to all of this, and let me just say something to you for, for just a moment. Because, see, listen, if, if you're going to not be a Christian, right, if you're going to not be a Christian, then, then this actually here is the reason why you should not be a Christian, because of these words right here. Not because you, you know some people who call themselves Christians and you've kind of seen them you know, do things that you know that even as Christians they say they don't believe in or agree with. That, maybe, you know, that might be a reason to be suspect of Christianity, I guess. But, but the truth is this. Every single one of us, we've all gone out to, to eat at some restaurant and had a bad experience, right? But, but we still go out to eat, don't we? Of course we do. So, so that's not a reason to not be a Christian. See, if you're going to not be a Christian, you, you should not be a Christian because of, of Jesus' claim right here to be the only way to the Father. If you're going to pass on, on Jesus, then this should be the reason why you, you, you're not a Christian. Because, see, this is hard, isn't it? I mean, this is narrow, right? And see, if, that, if that's where your struggle is, then I want you to know very, this is, honestly, I want you to know, you are always welcome here to ask questions. You're always welcome here to bring your questions about who is Jesus, really. I mean, you are always welcome here with your doubts and your questions. If you cannot honestly ask that question, you know, who is Jesus, really? If you can't ask that question here, then where are you supposed to get that answered at? You are always welcome, no matter how long it takes, to bring your questions and your doubts. Nobody here is going to judge you for having doubts or questions. But see, this has happened at the very end of Jesus' ministry, and he's being very, very clear with his disciples at this point because he does not want any misunderstandings. And John was there. And, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. I am the way to the Father, Jesus says. Verse 7, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. I mean, see right there. I mean, right there, Jesus is actually equating himself with God, isn't he? Because he's saying, listen, if you know me, if you know me, then you know the Father. From now on, Jesus says, you do, you do know him, the Father, and, and, listen, have seen, have seen him. Now, at, at this point, another one of Jesus' followers who is there in the room listening to all this, a, a man by the name of Philip, he actually says something to Jesus that every single one of us, every single one of us have, have, have thought this or said this at some point in our lives. And he says this to Jesus. He says in verse 8, Lord, show us. Show us the Father. And, and that will be enough for us. And we see, hasn't there been some situation in your life, some situation that you've been in because of a circumstance that you were facing, because of a situation of life that you found yourself in where you just said, you know, God, if there's just some way, if there's just some way that you could let me know that you're really real, God, if there's just something that you could do to, to give me some sort of a sign, God, if there's something that you could do to just help me know that you're really there, and that you're really aware that, God, you really do know what's happening to me right now? I mean, haven't all of us at some point in our lives, haven't all of us needed some kind of reassurance because of a situation that we actually found our, ourselves in? That there really is a God and that he really knows what's going on? See, that, that's what Philip is saying to Jesus right here. And then listen. I mean, listen to how it is that that Jesus actually responds to Philip, because his response is amazing. Verse 9. Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? I mean, is Jesus really saying what it sounds like he's saying? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you know that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, Jesus says, are not just my own. In other words, if you've ever said, you know, I wonder what God would do in this situation. I wonder what God thinks about this. Then Jesus says, just listen to me. If you want to know what God says about a certain situation in your life, if you want to know what God's thoughts are about your relationships, about your marriage, about your family, about your kids, if you want to know what God's thoughts are about your future, then Jesus says, just listen to me. If you want to know what God's thoughts about you personally are, what his feelings towards you are, Jesus says, just listen to me because the words I say to you, they are not. They are not just my own, Jesus says. Rather... Rather, it is the Father who is living in me that is doing his work. You want to know what God would do? Watch Jesus. You want to know what God thinks? Listen to Jesus, because Jesus is telling us on this side of eternity, 
We will never, we will never ever get a better understanding of what God is truly like other than Jesus. See, do you know why it is that, that Jesus actually came to earth? Do you want to know why God came to dwell among us? Well, of course, the primary re- reason was to pay for our sin. But see, it was also, it was also so that we could know, so that we could objectively know what God is really like. See, God wants us to know him at such a personal level that he was not content to just send us a bunch of information. And so he actually sent himself so that he could take away as many questions that all of us have as he possibly could. So God decided to live. God decided to actually dwell among us so that we could know him and not simply be left guessing about him. See, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Jesus never claimed to have the best explanation of God. Jesus claimed to be the best explanation because he said he was. He said he was God. Now, this is so important because, listen, there is no end to the list of people throughout history who have claimed to have the explanation of God. There's nothing special. There's nothing unique about that. Plenty of people have said, listen, this is what I think God would do. This is what I think God is like. This is what I think God would say. But see, not Jesus. Jesus shows up and he says, I want you to see me and I want you to know me because I am, he says, I am the explanation. And see, that's why. That's why John and Matthew and Mark and Peter and Paul and James, even Jesus' own brother, wrote down everything they saw Jesus do and everything they heard Jesus say. But see, the the challenge is this. Inside every single one of us, you and me, there is this thing inside of us that wants to go and try to find God in all of of the wrong places. And many times what happens is that leads us to actually looking at things like our circumstances or our own emotions to try to understand what it is that God is like or perhaps what it is that that God actually, what it is that he actually feels or, or thinks about each of us. But see, Christmas... Christmas is the celebration of knowing. At Christmas time, what we celebrate is the gift of actually knowing. We celebrate the gift that there is a better way to know what God is like. There is a better way to know what it is that God thinks about you, what it is that God feels about you, and to understand what God is truly like. And it's not through how well we can piece together the events of our lives that's actually through Jesus. Because see, here's something else that every single one of us that we all know that God also knows as well, and that's the fact that love, love must be shown to be known, right? All of us, don't we know that that's true? Love must be shown to be known. I mean, in fact, isn't that the reason why right now there are, are, are presents probably waiting under your Christmas trees at home? Love must be shown to be known. You, you cannot demonstrate love without a sacrifice. And see, this is why. This is so important. Think about this for a moment. How how does a God, how does a God who, who claims to love the whole world, how does a God like that actually show, at a personal level, his love 
for, for you. I mean, the only way, the only way would be for him to actually make a sacrifice that you would know about. See, you cannot demonstrate love without a sacrifice, and you cannot demonstrate great love without a great sacrifice. You will never know how much someone truly cares about you until you actually see what it is that they are willing to give up for you. Another one of Jesus' followers, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul, he actually expresses this idea when he says this to us. He says this in Romans chapter 5, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when the set time had fully come, a Jewish carpenter actually discovers that his fiancée is pregnant. And as Joseph is trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? What do I do? Do I leave? Do I lie? Do, do I cover it up? Do I expose her? Do I marry her? What do I do? An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God said, Joseph, the set time has fully come. Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet Isaiah, who actually wrote these words more than 700 years before Jesus was even born. He said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him. And this is the best part, isn't it? Because this is what takes us from, I, I wonder if, to I know. This is the part that actually takes us from, you know, give me some sort of a sign, to I am. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God. God with us. That God actually dwells among us. See, God had to be with us so that we could know that he was for us. And ultimately, God died to make his love for us, known by us. And once again, it's John. It's John who knew Jesus the best, who actually explains it the best when he says this. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in, not just believes, but believes in him, would not perish, but have, have eternal life. Now, that little phrase, believes in, what that phrase is trying to express is really the, the idea of trust. And the way I like to illustrate trust is actually very simply, it's just with a, a stool. See, this, this is trust, right? This is trust, isn't it? Trust isn't a magic word. 
Just like believe isn't a magic word, right? There's, there's not a, a spiritual version of trust or a secular version of trust. Trust is just simply this. It's just trust. Just like I'm trusting in the stool right now to, to hold up my weight. To, to become a follower of Jesus is to simply say, okay, God, I, I believe that you actually sent your son, Jesus, into this world. And I believe that you sent him into this world to, to die for, for my sin personally. And so, God, I am placing, I'm placing all of my weight. I'm placing all of my trust on the fact that when Jesus died, he actually died for me. When Jesus died on the cross, his death actually paid for my sin. Now, according to Jesus... According to Jesus, that faith and that trust that, that God himself actually gives to us, that that faith is how we, how you and I, that's how we are actually adopted into, as it says in Galatians chapter 5, that's how we are adopted into God's family as his children. That, that faith that you and I, that we could never manufacture on our own, is how God actually adopts us and brings us into his family. And see, at Christmas, at Christmas what we celebrate is the gift of God being made known. What we celebrate is the fact that there is actually a better way to know what God is truly like. And that's through Jesus. Now, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine sharing a, a message like this especially on Christmas Eve, without giving you the opportunity to, to, to receive that gift for yourself. Because the truth is, I would expect at least for somebody here right now, the chances are this is actually the first time you truly understood why. You actually personally understood why it is that God came to earth, why it is that he had to live uh, among us, why it is that ultimately Jesus actually died for us, that he actually died for you. And so if that's you, if you've actually understood that maybe for the very first time today, in a moment I'm going to invite you to, to pray with me. And, or maybe you're here, and you know what the truth is? You, you kind of think about yourself. You, maybe you're, you would say that you're kind of like John. Because you used to believe, and you remember when you used to believe. But then something happened. A situation in your life, a circumstance happened, and because of that, you, you stopped believing. But now you're here. Today you're here. And, and you know, even though you don't necessarily understand why, you do know that Jesus really is the Son of God. Or, or maybe you're here and, and, and you've known this truth. This is a truth that you've known, a truth that you have celebrated for many, many years. The truth that at Christmas time what we celebrate is the fact that Jesus actually came, that God actually came to live and to dwell among us. Regardless of which one of those groups you might find yourself in today, I want to give you the opportunity to, to pray with me. And, and this is important to understand. You know, praying a certain prayer is not what makes you a Christian. Right? Prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just an expression of, of faith. The faith that God himself gives to us. The faith that we need to actually believe that Jesus really is. He really is the Son of God. Of God. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and you can say this prayer out loud if you want. You can say it to yourselves, but we're going to close our time together today in prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son, 
And I believe that you sent him to this earth to pay for my sin. And Father, I believe that when he died, he died not only for the sin of the world, but that he actually died for my sin personally. And so, Father, all of my faith and all of my trust is in Jesus alone. Father, thank you for adopting me and bringing me into your family this Christmas. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.